I feel like we've we've cemented our indie status at Clay. Like we've got so many beards, like almost like that majority of the guys have beards. And it's like, all right, we're we are a true indie studio now. I'm getting yeah. My first world beard problem is that sometimes my beard <laughs> dominates the conversation, and I'm like, I'm a human being. A, I have uh, feelings. You do have a magnificent beard. <laughs> And people always touch it. Strangers touch it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I've started getting that. It's weird. It's like why it's 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 like a pregnant lady when people like just go up and touch. I know. Yeah. It's, like, it's, like, it's like wait a minute, you're not supposed to do that. It's totally invading their personal yeah. space. Like I like complaining about something that I could just yeah. shave off. <laughs> uh, I'm Matthew Martinson. I am Gordon McLattery. And I am Chanel Summers. And this is Beards, Cats, and Indie Game Audio. Excellent. Uh, so we're here for our second episode, and we have a wonderful guest this time. Um, Chanel, you were up doing a talk yesterday, and we jumped at the chance to have you uh, stop by while we record. So awesome for coming by. Thank oh, you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. This is awesome. And it's amazing to be around so many beards and, and a cat. <laughs> like, I, I feel like uh, I feel very warm. That's what we're going for. <laughs> And very indie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're making the best out of what we've got. That's for sure. In the indie spirit. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for people who don't sure. know who you are. For sure. Well, I've spent, um, well, I hate to admit this. I've spent about 20 years of my life in the video game industry. Oh, my gosh. That always kind of gives my age away. Um, yes, I started the video game industry when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> I was incredibly talented, um, but anyways, I started off as a uh, a game designer and a game producer at a lot of uh, very early innovative uh, companies like uh, Velocity, who uh, did um, uh, Spectre VR, mm-hmm. which was like one of the first 3D massively multiplayer online um, games. I worked at uh, Mindscape, uh, Mattel Media, um, and from there, I got recruited to Microsoft where I shipped their first ever um, massively multiplayer game, uh, Fighter Ace. From there, I transitioned to the Windows DirectX side of the house and became their first ever audio technical evangelist, uh, working on direct music and direct sound and basically helping to pioneer um, interactive audio technologies. Then I got snatched up by the the original Xbox team to uh, come over and help uh, co-design the uh, audio subsystem and promote that. And um, those were really wild times. It was fantastic. And um, love that. And then while I was on Xbox, created the um, first ever support team for content creators because there's always been um, support teams for the technical folks, for the programmers, but nobody was ever serving the the creative people, you know, the people making the content, you know, the sound designers, the game designers, the the artists. Yeah. And so my team set out to travel around the world and support those folks because we wanted to basically usher in like this fantastic next generation of terrific Xbox games. And Mm -hmm. we knew we had to work with the creative people, Mm -hmm. you know, not just the technical folks. Then, um, I left uh, Microsoft and kind of went into the more pure music pursuits and uh, toured um, professionally as a drummer 
also uh, did session work, recorded, um, created my own audio production company, Syndicate 17. Yep. Um, and uh, gosh, and then and then of course, you know, in doing that, I was also still doing some stuff for for video games, but also film, television. But then kind of got started getting grabbed more again um, back purely into the video game industry and started doing some academic and pursuits and, and speaking engagements and created a, a new course for the University of Southern California uh, called Artistic, uh, excuse me, Audio Expression, which is about creating aesthetic and artistic audio yep. for video games. And so I go around the world and I teach workshops based on this class I created for mm -hmm. USC. Um, and so I do that and kind of was, I was doing that at CDM, giving a, a lecture based on those concepts. And then, of course, I, gosh, sorry, this is lengthy. <laughs> um, I consult on a lot of game audio designs and other people's game audio technologies, and that's through Syndicate 17 that I do that. And most recently, I got appointed to uh, be the chief product officer of a new startup in Ireland called uh, Score Music Interactive, which oh, cool. is building a uh, interactive music production cool. technology. And so that kind of, that came out of sort of my academic pursuits of yeah. you know touring around, and yeah. people go, "Hey, we we need your knowledge and experience. Like, come aboard." So, cool. I. So I'm so tired because I do like 50 <laughs> jobs. <laughs> I'm happy whenever an audio person is busy. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about, so you started out d doing game design. Yeah. I'm curious when the shift to audio happened. Well, you know, here's the thing. As a game designer, I always, you know, when I was a game designer at the time, you know, not that audio is fully respected nowadays, uh, but obviously it's respected a whole lot better than it was, mm -hmm. you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and at the time, it was very much just wallpaper, right? It was just something that Did just kind of... Did it make kinda... sound? Good enough. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Or why do we even have to have things make sounds, you know? Right. And so... But if it was in there, it was just, it didn't do anything. It just hung there. It was just, or just kind of got plastered yeah. in there. And, and, um, it, nobody even really even thought about, gosh, does this even match with what the game is? Yeah. It's like, oh, I've got some jazz music. Yeah, sure. I'll yeah. put it in. <laughs> and as a game designer, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, what, why are we doing this? And like, why is it always that the focus is on all these other endeavors? Like, we're putting so much attention into like, you know, the gameplay and we're putting a lot of attention to the graphics and why is audio considered separately? So as a game designer, I started thinking this is a very powerful element mm -hmm. and um, and started to have like this big passion for it, but yeah. still hadn't made that transition. So then I come over to Microsoft and, you know, I work on Fighter Ace and again, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, audio, audio, audio. And then what happens is Microsoft goes and purchases this technology um, from a company that I believe was called Blue Ribbon Soundworks. Hmm. And this technology later became direct music. Mm -hmm. And so they purchase it, and I went to go and see the, a demonstration of the, the very, very early forms of yep. it. And I literally had... A religious experience like basically like it was sort of like whoa 
like like the white light and the angels, and yep. they're like, "This is it, Chanel. Right. This is where you make the transition." You know, because I'm like, "Oh my God, here's something where we can like, you know, like like foreshadow, you know, yep. something, and um, the audio can change based on what's like going on in the game." Or we could even, you know, change the animation based on like the music or, and I was like, oh my gosh, I see the total possibilities of like storytelling and interactive and dynamic audio. And I never looked back since then. And that's when I totally made the transition and it's been sort of my life's mission ever since Mm -hmm. of, you know, sort of pioneering that and working on that and how can we make that better and, and, you know, I think the thing is, is that, you know, right now it's, it's like the tools are getting so much better and so much better and the, and, and the feature set and the technology is getting great. You know, my thing now is, is that how do we create art with that? Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm seeing great technical execution, but we now really need to think about like taking these wonderful pieces of technology and really being able to exploit, you know, audio as, as a true storytelling element. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's really heading in the right direction because all of the all of the nominees, a lot of the nominees for IGF and the ones that got attention in Indiecade, you know, like playing the games, I was able to pick out a lot of technical errors with the winners, but that's not what people are considering. I don't think they're really considering how are the sounds used in an artistic sense? Yeah. I feel like in the indie scene, it's actually the techni- technical aspects that have to catch up to the, to the artistic stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky that I'm not freelance anymore, so I don't have to run the battle of convince somebody that they should really use middleware because it's going to make everything easier <laughs> and yeah. give you more artistic tools and everything. Um, so right. I don't have to do that fight, but I've definitely... I've I've been doing game audio for about ten years, mm-hmm. so I've I'm on that edge of I remember when just getting anything to play was really hard. Yes, you know yes. anything meaningful was like if you made something vaguely meaningful, you're like, yeah, awesome, my game. That's I've done it. <laughs> I've made the car sound like a car. Like yay, you know. And I feel like we've definitely we're past that now. And if if you want to make a artistic like statement in your audio for your game and add to the overall everything you can like it's like the the technical is not the barrier anymore exactly it's the do you have the desire and do you see that this is what you should do exactly and and that's the thing too i mean i think we need more of that movement um of going towards the artistic sound designer because Mm -hmm. there's so many of the technical sound designers and even talking to like my colleagues at some of the big publishers, you know, they, they've said to me, you know, Chanel, what, you know, we're looking for in our team is specifically the artistic sound designers. There's so many of the technical guys out there, but yeah. mm-hmm. we want those folks that are creative problem solvers and, you know, um, are, are, are basically our storytellers. It's yeah. not that they're audio people, but that they're storytellers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what's really going to keep advancing the yeah. industry. But I totally agree with you. I mean, the people who are really doing something special and, and breaking boundaries are the indie folks. And, like, you know, the indie folks and, like, the mobile, you know, folks. Yeah. 
um, that's where I'm seeing a lot of experimentation and a lot of risk taking. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, of course they can do it because it's, <laughs> you know, it's either their company or it's yeah, a smaller exactly. company. But th this is terrific. This is what's going to make things not so stagnant, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, in your talk that you gave um, at the, the other day, you talked uh, definitely talked about Limbo being a great example of um, an indie studio that's doing great audio stuff. And I think Limbo is very well recognized by tons of people as sounding great and playing great and being an awesome, it's by me. phenomenal game. I love that. Um, do you have any other examples that you think are doing? Um, you know, what I thought was was also very interesting is, is um, and I mean, obviously I think people definitely agree with this, is Bastion, because mm -hmm. it has won several awards. Yeah. And what I think is, number one, so cool, is that Darren Korb had never done a game before. You know, he was yep. a, he's a songwriter, he's a band guy, mm -hmm. you know. And what he did is he worked from his limitations, you know, and kind of turned those into advantages. Like, he, he, he was not a traditional composer. Yeah. You know, so, well, first of all, he didn't want to do something like an orchestral score. Yeah. I mean, an orchestral score, I don't think would have been right for that kind of game, you know, since it was this like frontier fantasy thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he wanted to do something that really matched with the mood um, of the game. But he even said himself that he's like, I don't really even have the technical skills to have to to have done that kind of arrangement. Yeah. So I drew from from my strengths yeah. and what I could do. And in doing so, he ends up creating a new music genre <laughs> for video games and coins the term acoustic frontier trip hop. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. brilliant, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, and then the fact that he had never done sound effects yeah. before and had to kind of figure that out mm -hmm. and, you know, um, did a combination, of course, of modifying, um, you know, library sounds, but then also did a lot of mouthing sounds yep. um, based on, you know, one of his sort of heroes um, who was a, a sound editor uh, on X-Men. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's brilliant. And I actually, from, from Darren, I just want to break off into a tangent. <laughs> I actually have an exercise in my USC class where I have the students um, create soundscapes fully out of mouthing sounds. Great. And cool. they have to create like full on narratives and, you know, it has to have a clear story to it. But I got that idea based on what Darren, yeah. you know, did for, for Bastion. And the other thing is, is that he even said himself that music led the, the, um, led the design it led the story it it led um how the levels looked in terms of tone and yeah. he was right there in the beginning in mm -hmm. pre-production and part of the design team which is so important you know um and look how well it turned out it's like it's not a happy accident that like these games that like actually involve audio as part of design and pre-production become critically successful yeah, and they turn out better when I'm in a project like from the get-go. Then I'm fully invested in it, and I'm invested in its success, you know, rather than bring bro being brought in at the tail end to slap some things in for with a game that you're not intimately knowledgeable about. Mm -hmm. You just kind of get the you get the top page, yeah, of, the, of what it does, and here's your asset list and pump it out. Whereas when you can really integrate your ideas into it, it just 
turns out better. It always turns yeah. out better. It's been one of the great things about Don't Starve um, at Clay is the whole team is very collaborative. Yeah. And I'm actively involved in, as part of that team. And everybody comes would come up with ideas for stuff and then bounce them around and then they would turn into something. That's so it wonderful. was like mm-hmm. I would drive animation changes at mm-hmm. times because I was like, you know what? Like I'm making sounds for this now and – this needs to like this needs to move more or lesser, and the animators will be like, "Oh yeah, sure, totally, you're totally right. I, I hate you, but you're right. <laughs> I need to change that." And you know that actually happened on a, a project I just recently worked on. It um, <clears throat> it was a uh, project for Intel. It's called the Leviathan Project, and um, it's this um, partnership between the USC World Building um, Lab and Intel, and uh, it it's. Um, played during the uh, CEO's keynote, but was also in the booth. And it's an augmented um, reality Mm -hmm. uh, project on a very, very large scale. And it's meant to kind of be the evolution of storytelling and to show how games will be played um, in the future. And uh, But essentially, they loved what we were doing so much um, in terms of sort of the music and the sound design that... um, the creative director, even at one point, you know, told the animator, like, no, like, retrofit, like, your animations to what they're yeah. doing audio-wise because they're just really making the experience come alive and yeah. super enhancing it. So mm-hmm. that's a great feeling. Yeah, no kidding. I think in the flip side of that, too, it's worth, as sound people, taking sound advice from other areas as well. I think a lot of times we're very resistant to somebody else telling us what to do because it's not to their area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, but I've had great tips I, from I love designers and animators who are like, hey, this sound is like totally not working. It reminds me of this. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah you're totally right. I, I'm going to change that now. Cause... Well, it's nice when people are attentive. Yeah. Um, and want to communicate with you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than just accepting everything you throw at them because you are more knowledgeable than them. Right. They feel like you're the expert, so I can't have an opinion because I'm not the expert. I'm wrong all the time. (laughs) Exactly. It's nice when they put some time and investment into it. And again, that it's it's everybody is part of the game. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just all like different elements. But but basically, we're this one holistic system of design versus I'm the audio person. Mm -hmm. No, we're part of the design team. We're all in it. Like, you know, we're we're serving the song, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I always felt the most severe of those relationship breakdowns was development versus QA, where you would get the, like, us versus them. And it's like, no, you're all part of the same team, like, looking to make a great game. Like, QA is not writing up bugs because they hate you personally. Like, they want the game to be better because without these bugs, it will play better. You're not making it up. (laughs) You know, in your talk yesterday, it was pretty apparent that you're a huge film fan. Um, But a lot of the time you get the attitude from, I think especially from indies, a lot of the time that games don't need to emulate film. And I wanted to know, like, what your response to that would be. Well, I think games don't need to emulate film in terms of things like going, oh, I've got to have like the most high fidelity, you know, sound recordings or it's got to be definitely this like amazing epic orchestral score and stuff. I think we shouldn't be looking at film like that where there are a lot of folks that go, but wait, 
what I'm doing audio-wise is fantastic because it's it's just as high quality yeah. as like what film is doing, and it's like that's not the point. The point is is to look at these other aesthetic reference points, like like film or or like painting or literature, to gleam sort of other deeper artistic um, types of elements. Right. Um, as I like to say, to you know, ambiguity is sort of one of the greatest lessons yeah. that um, the game industry can learn from folks in cinema, or obviously, you know, in and that's a really tough world. one because games are so latched onto providing user feedback that is supposed to direct the user, and so it takes like a really risky game to provide misdirection. And amb- ambiguity, well, which I think is neat. Limbo. They did it beautifully. <laughs> and they set out specifically to do that. They yeah. they purposely, I mean, they, they planned that. They purposely did not want to overtly manipulate that player, you know. Right. They, they wanted to leave things open to interpretation and and have you kind of cast your own, like, meaning onto yeah. the experience. And, and, and in so, I mean, in doing so... I really got immersed in this kind of creepy, haunting, like, landscape, yeah, you know? Yeah. And they really were able to put me on edge because everything just was, you know, a ambiguous. Little... And it wasn't that whole see dog, hear dog kind yeah, of mentality. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Amnesia Machine for Pigs, which came out this year, the I horror game. That one. It, I forgot the to first mention one, the last one. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Yeah. And yes. there's a lot of that where you can just tell how, I think Sam Justice did the sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every every single sound has been so carefully chosen to be as scary as possible. Yeah, and it, a lot of the time, of course, it doesn't exactly emulate what's happening. But every time when I'm watching someone else play, every time you bring up your lamp lantern, I freak out because just <laughs> when when the sound that the user makes scares the user, I yeah. think that's hilarious. Well, it's that attention to detail yeah. that you bring up about like that every sound had to be just right. Yeah. Attention to detail is just so huge. I mean, I think another really, really creepy, ambiguous one that really kind of sets you on edge and is, you know, has that horror-tinged narrative, Mm -hmm. but very much on the opposite extreme of something like a dead of a dead space is Yearwalk from Mm -hmm. Samogo, which is a Swedish uh, developer. Cool. And um, that's that whole kind of again monochrome, black and white. sort of thing, but it's super creepy, kind of reminds me of um, of uh, this movie from a long time ago. I think it was called um, Wicker Man or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and it's basically based on, like, Swedish folklore. I wonder with some of that stuff, like, that stuff becomes almost, like, automatically creepy for here in, us, in North America because it's so alien to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder so, how... Like the Swedes react to that when they're like, "Well, that's just the the, the ghost story I grew up with." Does, right? Does mm-hmm. it carry the same weight there, or you know, I don't know what the equivalent um, because it's culturally specific. Yeah. So for us, like it's I don't know what foreign. our culturally specific kids horror stories would be that we could send back to yeah. Europe or Asia, and they'd be like, "This is totally foreign to us." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be. Some... I know that Asia totally sticks, or at least in Korea and I think Japan, they have the same ghost, the girl with the hair over the face. Right. They yeah. still get scared by it. Yeah. And if that's yeah. hundreds of years old. That's a very old trope, I think. Yeah. 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 But it's totally. But it's totally the thing with Yearwalk again. Is that 
that subtlety mm-hmm. and that minimalism and just really knowing how to choreograph that whole tension and release yeah. and not just have sounds all the time, you know, yeah. just really using them when they need to have that kind of impact, yeah. you know, yeah. and then of course having what they need there to, to make that creepy atmosphere right. that, that again, just sort of, you know, puts you on edge. There was this, uh, reminds me sort of somehow of this moment um, in Don't Starve where I've got all this ambient stuff going on and the ambience changes at night and it's all this terrific, you know, ambient stuff going on at night. And there is a voice. There is one sample that is a voice that says something that is not related to anything and it's deep in the mix and then there's a tiny percent chance of it playing and it goes off every once in a while. People in our forum started to be like, what's that sound? What's he saying? What's going on with that? And started to try to, they, there's a total spoiler. If any of the fans don't starve or like listening now, um, it is not tied to anything. It was a total random stuff, but people were in the forums going, Oh, if you start your fire at this time and have it burning at this and like have it in this location, you'll hear the thing. And like, it's got to mean something like they just heard a something and started to build a mythology around oh, it. deriving that, meaning from ambiguity. Like yeah, you were that, it, about. that yeah, that it must mean something. Like, if it's in the game, it must mean something. So, like, how do we trigger this specific thing, and what is it saying, and can we decipher what its meaning is? And it was like, well, no, it was just a cool, <laughs> creepy sample I found that threw in there. <laughs> well, hats off to you. I can't wait to check out that game. You keep getting me more and more excited, so. Yeah, I'm... Super, not to toot my own horn, but I'm really proud of the stuff we did in Don't Starve. It sounds, it's a really great sounding game and a really wonderful sounding game. So um, another thing um, I sort of talked about, um, but I was wondering from your talk yesterday, and it's kind of applied to me, um, it's easy for the big budget guys, AAA, to do whatever they want. You know, like, you're the audio team, here's your massive recording budget, go do whatever you want. What about the guys with no budget? How, well, what do you think are some like creative artistic ways that like on no budget you can I mean, I mean again, we going back to Limbo. Yeah. And even Bastion. Yeah. And you know, these are products that are hailed as as being groundbreaking, you know, I mean, groundbreaking period, but mm-hmm. obviously ground groundbreaking audio-wise. And these products did it on a shoestring budget yeah. mm-hmm. and did amazing stuff and frankly to to be able to do things that's very clever and very cool and very interesting you don't need the budgets of these triple yeah. a console games it's really just about thinking about stuff and being clever and how you kind of tell your story and utilize your sounds mm-hmm. and that's not a big budget issue yeah. that's that's more thinking again as a as a storyteller um uh, so uh, things like doing ambiguity and things about like working cleverly with silence, that's, that's not going to, that's not financial or technical. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. So that's why I'm like, these people shouldn't be making excuses. And again, where, where are we seeing a lot of the advancement? It is out of the, the smaller companies, yeah. you know, um, they are doing cool things. A lot of the times actually with the big guys, even though they have the budgets, it's more formulaic. It's more formulaic. The Their time. hands are end up being tied, 
you know, where it's sort of like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. This is already good. You mm-hmm. don't need to, you know, yeah. experiment. Like, um, I think we had ended up having a recording budget, some serious air quotes going on that for, for Don't yeah. Starve. Um, the, the, like the one re- field recording I did was we went to a mine and that cost us a couple hundred dollars uh-huh. to rent the location for half a day because we were making caves and I needed some ambience of under the ground. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I was looking around for, uh, caves in the area within a day's drive kind of like where could i go and nothing there's no caves yeah in bc yeah mm-hmm. um and somebody on the team just was like well what about brenda mines there's an old mine um about an hour out of the city that is now a mining museum and they tours through it oh and it was like well that's that's underground why why don't like so i i contacted them thinking there's no way like this is going to be affordable, like to go mm-hmm. rent a mine. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's 150 bucks or something an hour. Yeah. Wow. And I was they like, rent it frequently. It yeah. Like. And they were like, <laughs> yeah, film, you know, people come and film here all the time. We've got oh, an agreement yeah, yeah, yeah. already set up, like you just sign on the dotted line and it's this much an hour and you can come in before we open. And it was like, wow, that's actually really cheap. Yeah. In mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things. And it's like, well, now I, I'd only have, I have what I need for that game. Yeah. I also have a whole bunch of cave recordings for any game I'm ever going to do. <laughs> you know, like you're set. Yeah, I'm set for underground ambiences. And I was like, okay, this is this is worth its weight, you know. And other than that, all my recording budget is spent at the dollar store. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I mean, what, what I like to say is, you just gotta, you just gotta MacGyver it, yeah. you know, and you yeah. gotta be resourceful. Yeah, it can be done, and that's why I always get really upset when I hear excuses or 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 people are like. No, I can't do that. It's like, no, you can. Yeah, yeah. You just need to. Out. You just need to figure it out. I mean, look at you know s- someone like you know the famous Walter Murch. Yeah. I mean, there were things that George Lucas asked him to do for THX eleven thirty eight that you know Murch was like, okay, well we can't really do that with with the uh, what we have nowadays equipment wise. I'll just invent stuff yeah. so that I can do it yeah you know and it's like that's that's the kind of thinking well it's an amazing know? like what you can do with what you have in your house i mean yeah. i live with a special effects makeup artist so i got a bunch of weird stuff <laughs> <laughs> like playing with gelatin yeah like things she uses for fake flesh yeah, yeah. it's great like well, even if you don't have access stuff. i've done tons of stuff with actual just, jello yeah just regular old jello yeah, you yeah. know that i bought at the dollar store and I have your kitchen. I have I have a a grocery bag and I have uh, I I have written on it bag of Foley. (laughs) And and it's basically it's it's my sort of bag of mundane objects that I like, you know, play with and scrape and tear and combine and create all sorts of different sounds. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do. I was doing some singing glasses the other day, and I was like, this has been done a thousand times before, but I didn't have any recordings of singing glasses. Yeah. And I wanted it for the specific sound for a game I was doing outsourcing for. But I realized that if you're doing the singing glasses and you slow way down, it goes nuts. Mm -hmm. The water starts almost splashing out of the glass, and you start getting formants and, like, almost voice sounds and creepy, like, spaceship noises. It's crazy. crazy. We'll post the sounds. I'll put them on yeah. SoundCloud. That's so cool. That's so cool. I was, so 
just finding new sounds in things that you've tried a hundred times before is always neat. Well, I do a, I do a, um, based on that, again, I do another kind of crazy outlandish um, experiment um, with my students to kind of help springboard creativity is we, we do this uh, cardboard exercise. And the first part of the exercise is, is, well, they're all blindfolded. Yeah. um, And, they have to take this piece of cardboard, and they have to make some kind of interesting sound with it, mm-hmm. and then pass it to the next person. That person has to reproduce it right. exactly, hmm. and then make a new sound with it. And so the first part of the exercise is about attuning their listening skills, yeah, and then stimulating creativity of, how can I take this piece of cardboard and do a lot of different interesting things? How can I understand the material properties of cardboard? Mm-hmm. And then the second part of the exercise is... Now you have to go and make a full-on soundscape yeah. with cardboard sounds, or you can choose to create a musical composition, too. Ah, great. And I had one student who did a whole house DJ set <laughs> with, with, with cardboard sounds. He called it Funbox. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> we, had a, we had an exercise at VFS where we, I think we got to make seven vowel sounds with our mouth, with our mouth. and then you had to create a soundscape with that. And they were all short, single-syllable things. And uh, Morgan made an entire forest scene out of it (laughs) with contact. Just loaded. Like, there's monkeys and (laughs) birds. It's insane. It's so cool. Yeah. So, sounds like a good class. I would like to take your class. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I definitely, like, on the no-budget indie thing, I think people don't a lot lot of times think just how much you can get out of your voice. Mm -hmm. Like, that your biggest free resource is your voice yeah and like, your body's an instrument yeah <laughs> like i don't know i think i'm upwards about 80 percent of the creatures in don't starve are my voice or started as my voice that's terrific mm-hmm. and i've i've just started training one of our artists to be a creature voice actor basically because <laughs> she was like oh i'm really always really interested in what you're doing could i do it so one time i'm like sure so now I've got a second voice that's slightly different, but like I kind of walk her through all the stuff I do, and I'm like, yeah. okay, now now do this. And there's just a bit of a hurdle to get over, like getting over yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first, I when I think when I was just starting school, you feel like such an idiot when you're first. Just totally. When you're going like, oh, <laughs> forever doing it forty times for forty variations. Yeah. But then once it, then you get really fast at it, and you do it all the time, and then people look at you funny. Yeah, like I make all, like I, I now, like I used to do all of my recordings at home. Like I'd be like, I'm going to go stay at home and make weird creature sounds tomorrow and, yeah. you know, make all my sounds on my own and go, I feel like an idiot. Yeah. Um, and now I like make them at work in front of people and they're just like, stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like we do, um, we have this creature called the Gobbler and he's a big turkey man. And originally I was like, okay, I need a bunch of turkey samples, found a bunch of turkey samples, bought a bunch of turkey samples, and then was like looking at the animation, timing out what I needed stuff. And I just started looking, thinking in my head, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't need anything. I can do this. And I went, <laughs> and I was like, that's it. That's the sound of that creature. Like I throw out all the samples I just acquired. I'm going to record myself and it's way better. And now you have a party trick for packs. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's too. That's, that's a great thing that, um, it tip for indies. If if your sound guy is like with you at promotional stuff and has made sounds with his voice and can do them on command, like people go nuts for that. Like, uh, we had a, like a like a little um, 
kid come up to us at PAX East last year and they were like, oh, this is, you know, you love Don't Starve. Well, this is the guy that made all the sounds for it. And I started doing sounds for him and he just like his mind was blown. His eyes got huge and he was like, oh, that is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) So it can like lead into being a promotional thing as well as an indie like absolutely leverage everything you know? <laughs> when i was uh when i was freelance i did um i got a bunch of si- sounds up for like sale on a sound effects website mm-hmm. and i was looking through the thing i'm like oh they don't have any race starts i'll record a bunch of race starts you know and like fill that hole and if you come looking for the site i'm the only one you'll find so that's become one of my biggest sellers oh, that's on that site and it's me heavily processed you know three two one go <laughs> all echoed out and yeah, stuff yeah, and i'm yeah. like every time i see that sell i'm like i wonder where that's going yeah like, <laughs> that's me saying that somewhere yet again is that going but you've a, never heard it pop no up i've never yet? so far but maybe i should start like buying all the racing games that come out and <laughs> just have a listen so you helped design the audio system for xbox yeah. I'm not sure, I don't want to go into like major details on that, but obviously that was a long time ago that it couldn't it could handle a lot more than anything else could. But um, there would be a lot of priorities to be made. And how do you how did you go about like choosing what was most important in sound? Because you can't have everything you want, or you couldn't then. Well, gosh, that was such a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, definitely having hardware acceleration of, like, a lot of, like, these features was, was super important. Um, you know, Dolby right. um, was super important. Um, obviously, um, utilizing the power of our DirectX audio mm. um, uh, technologies was super important. And having those hardware accelerated, you know, again, um, looking at interactive audio. Right. With with Xbox and you know it was definitely very very breakthrough um, yeah. at the time um, and specifically even like direct music I have people still come to me and say we really miss that technology it was amazing <laughs> it was absolutely amazing and you know we wish that Microsoft still supported it yeah. and and would have kept growing it out yeah well, I did a game in XNA not too long ago and it was really good actually as far as middleware as far as free middleware it was amazing. Well, especially for free middleware, like it was. It I've, a, I've never a done a game with XNA, but everyone I've talked to have been like, "This was really quite good." Yeah. But the support's all gone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you have to learn it by doing a game with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but just that type of forced prioritization is something that a lot of indie developers have to make decisions on. Yeah, so I was I was finding interesting the where indies will put their priorities when it comes to audio versus like sorry, there's no money to be spent on middleware, um, so we'll code something up ourselves. And it's like, well, how long is that going to take you? If you add up what your time's worth, you're better off shelling out the money. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, I know, and like- in some cases that the, like the money just isn't an option. They're like, you know, yeah. they're mm-hmm. they're indie doing stuff in their spare time. And they're just like, I have no spare money. I can't afford to license anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, like with um, with the mobile guys, like there's there's some folks like um, there's a great game called uh, Pugs Love Beats mm. by uh, Lucky Frame, a yep. Scottish developer, I believe, and um, they use pure data to do their interactive wow. music. Oh, wow. um, engine that's cool and so um it's a really cool game it's it basically 
uh, mixes resource gathering with sort of music composition. Yeah. And it's very outlandish, too. It's <laughs> sort of like these, these pugs, these dogs, have this love for beets, the vegetable. <laughs> um, but they, they, have, they love these beets so much that they, they uh, get overzealous. And right. they end up, like, destroying their world because of trying to, like, grow all these beets. <laughs> so then they have to go to, like, different planets to kind of more mine these beets. And in sort of mining the, the vegetables, they create musical beats. Nice. And and every planet has its own sonic palette. Yeah. And so the 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 uh, the pugs kind of become sort of like the instrument and you kind of become like the composer. So while you're doing this whole resource gathering um um gameplay, you're also kind of composing um on the fly as well. And then you can also like dress up your pugs in like hats and costumes. <laughs> so it gets even really <laughs> more bizarre and you know that allows them to do even different things and and then it also um there's this add-on um two-voice synthesizer that you can get like a theremin-like synthesizer where (laughs) you're you're basically like you know again like doing all these kind of crazy theremin-like things with these with these pugs and and then they even sort of show where you you know can like do these little like DJ type stuff, and I always like tease my my DJ friends, going, "Can you imagine like bringing the synth, like you know, into I'm ready a for show, my show and, and do a show, and, and doing a show with this <laughs> with this Pugsless Beats like soft synth, you know? <laughs> and it's all like, <laughs> sorry, I will stop. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I think the interesting uh, the mobile I find interesting because it's so limited. Like it's back to that. Like I, I back to my history. I, I started the first game I shipped was on the PS2, Xbox. You know, like so I come back from that time and was like, wow, it, things were really limited, and you got had to get really creative within those limitations. And I feel like mobile is where that's happening now. Like you can do creative things, but you got to get. That's where you have to get technically creative along with your artistically creative stuff. A lot of um, asset capping and ducking and yeah. And something we were originally going to talk about before we had you come on as a lovely guest uh, was threes. Have you had a chance to play threes? No, I haven't. Um, It's an uh, iOS matching game where it's a grid and you're given uh, in the grid are all these numbers and you have to match up your numbers to like ones and twos makes threes and then everything doubles. So like two threes make a six, two sixes make a 12. Okay. So it's just matching all your numbers up. And every time you move something, you can move up, down, left, right on the grid. And once you move something, a new card comes in and you, you get a preview of what that card will be. Mm-hmm. So you have to decide which direction to go to, you know, maximize your, the numbers you're going to make. Um, very each simple. Number, each number is a character. Yeah, okay. that's the kind of like the sonically interesting thing about oh, okay. it is every number is a character and has a voice. And so you combine them and there's like, you know, you make a three and the three goes, hello. <laughs> and it gives you a little like this little descriptor of the person. That is that number, and it's like they are this kind of person. And one person was like a cannibal that eats other numbers, and another <laughs> one's a pirate. And so it has no effect on gameplay. It's just a little charm, and it's nice. <laughs> and it really gives you like a. Not only do you want a reason to like increase your score by getting the bigger numbers, but you kind of like. I for me, it was like I want to find out what the next character is and That's what, the, cool. what the voice yeah goes with it. And uh, somebody made um, a web version 
um, that's a clone, but apparently a sanctioned clone. The guys who made threes okay. are like, go ahead, make that. Um, but uh, it's got music, but that's it. It doesn't have any of the voices. Like, oh, this is fun, but it's like it doesn't have that charm yeah. that is driving me to like want to build these bigger numbers to hear the new voice. And when we were talking about offline, Gord, you had said, oh, I thought there were some technical limitations. You said that um, when you create it, if you create like two 24s at once, it plays twice. Yeah. So you get you just get phase. Which I thought was intentional. Oh. Because it's an audible signal that I have created more than one. Right. That it's, That's interesting. Yeah. Just, and it's interesting how you thought it was a technical I thought problem. it was an error. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was by design. And I mean, we have no idea what yeah. their intent was. But I thought it was interesting that it could be taken both ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, no, that's a signal that I've created two of this thing because it's phasing out and playing it twice. And like, right. I can just listen and know I've, I've created more than one of them. But is that because you're knowledgeable in audio that you know phase means more than one? Or do you it, think a user that didn't know is just it's slightly different? So yeah, I wasn't really perceiving it as phase as an audio person, okay. more like crowd of people saying the same thing at once. Mm. Oh, okay, like that's how I perceived it. Gameplay was like there's a bunch of them and they're all saying hello at once. Right. Right. So, right. so yeah, I thought it possibly could be intentional. Maybe we can find the guys who did threes sure, and sure we can send them ask out. them. Yeah. But so you you bring up a great point. Um, I think we actually need to impose limitations on ourselves i think it's a very important concept again to get that creativity and to develop that kind of strict you know sort of um focused aesthetic um a lot of the most creative people came out of those early game days because they didn't have the the technology so they had to work with they had with with what they have and you know, again, MacGyver it and be resourceful. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times when you have so much stuff, it becomes overwhelming. And it it's not that it makes you lazy, but I think it's hard to find your voice, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Um, because, because it is just such a crowded landscape and that, that's, it's harder to be creative that way. So I think in order to do that, you need to purposely set limitations on yeah. yourself and 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 work from there it's like uh hearing music guys who go back to using four track recorders yes and stuff these absolutely days they're like i my my daw like overwhelms me because i can do anything so i yeah i'm going to use this thing that only gives me four tracks and like that's what i have to use yeah um because there's an a, there's a feeling of accomplishment in that because then yeah. you're doing very tangible problem solving yeah and i think it's harder to do that with a DAW for a lot of people because, like, you can give yourself any kind of limitations. But to, like, enforce yourself to be like, I'm only going to use four tracks or these plugins or whatever it is. These, I could never do that. You know, yeah, most and- people are like, gonna, oh, I'm just going to cheat because nobody's going to know. It's just me. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute. I've got 37 tracks. What did I do? My bandmates used to call me Seven Layer Dip. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just be like, what are these seven layers of harmonies here? <laughs> No, no, I mean, that's cool. It's sort of like limiting, yeah, like how many tracks you're going to use, like what microphones you're going to use. Um, I think it is actually very interesting that um, there's some AAA console production uh, games that they're not using all this expensive field recording and um, miking gear. They're like recording off of their iPhone or yeah. off of like a, a portable recorder like a Zoom. And then the magic is all in then how they sort of 
manipulate and modify mm-hmm. those sounds. Yeah. My um my first recorder was the Zoom H4, not even the N, the 4, which is not a good sounding recorder. It's super <laughs> noisy. Um, but anytime anyone is like, oh, what recorder should I get? Like, I got to spend a lot of money to get something really good. And I'm like, well... The Mark of the Ninja is regarded as a phenomenally sounding game by just about everybody, and there's sounds from my H4 that are in that game. Didn't matter where they came from, like the fact that it got me the sounds I needed, and within context, I made them work. Exactly. My primary recording rig is a Tascam DR05, which is like $95. Yeah. And then my binaural Roland microphones, which are $135. Yeah. It's like a... $240 $240 rig. That, 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 I mean, it, it brings up a great point of, you know, where you have folks that go like, well, for me to be able to do this, I have to have the best gear. And it's like, no, you don't. It's like the kids that go, I want to be like Michael Jordan. So I have to get Michael Jordan shoes. Yeah. Right. No, it's hard work and practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the thing. You can create unbelievable stuff. With with whatever, you know, it's like, as we say, like with the bag of Foley or yeah. inexpensive gear, it's MacGyvering it. I just I keep coming back yeah. to that, mm-hmm. you know, nobody and needs to know what you, how you did it. Exactly. Except I just told people what I do. <laughs> it's the black arts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I use the most expensive stuff possible and would never work with anything less than that. <laughs> Not at all. I always say the best recorder is the one you have on hand. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I always recommend to everybody to always have a recorder on yeah. hand because you never know when that great sound is is going to be present or if you're walking around somewhere and you just want to, you know, pick up a few things that you find on the ground and start playing around with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that could be a good stopping point there. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds natural. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Chanel. Yeah, thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Wonderful. But uh, I have to say, I, I am glad that I don't have a beard because um, that would be awkward. <laughs> we almost well, we forgot to ask, you do you have a cat? No, I have a dog oh. that's super fluffy. She, well, that's ha- she has an afro, though. She was at the nice. talk yesterday. Was that your dog at the talk? No, that wasn't my dog at oh. the talk. <laughs> <laughs> For those out there, we, Chanel was giving her wonderful talk. A little Pomeranian just wandered through the room, and we were all kind of like, whose dog is that? <laughs> that, that was my lovely assistant. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up another podcast. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, Janelle, for coming out and talking with us. And we'll be back in a month. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. Bye.